Now we get to another Haven pick. Yes, like another classic. You get a classic. We have 1943's mm-hmm. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. The first crossover. Is this the first? Yep. Okay. Now, I was going back and forth between picking that and House of Frankenstein. And See, also, I've not watched any of Abbott these. and Costello meets Frankenstein. I, I would have loved that. I've seen that one. It was interesting to me because you could have just been a a normal ass looking old man and yep. be a movie star back then. Literally. Like Lon Chaney Jr. just looks like is a junior in this one? Yeah, junior. Yeah. His just, dad was supposed to be like Dracula in the original Bella Gosi. He looks like he a the manager of a meat department at a grocery <laughs> store. You know? He does not look like an actor. What are you talking about? He's got leading man uh, looks. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny how they, I was like, how are they going to, because whenever they do a crossover like this, mm-hmm. I'm used to like the Marvel reveal where yeah. it's, they do it with some sort of interesting or unique kind of thing, but they just, they just kind of like falls into a basement and there's a, some ice and he's like, oh, there's Frankenstein. Yep. Okay. And I, dumb modern movie brain thought, is that how they got Frankenstein in the last movie? Did they freeze him under the thing? And say, <laughs> Probably not. Didn't matter. Well, they, it kind of yeah. follows that logic if you want to go. I thought they like burned him or whatever. Well, yeah. In the first one, they like burn the windmill he hides out right. in. But then he kind of makes that his lair, rebuilds and everything to get Frankenstein to build him a bride. Then the same thing happens. Like, you know, they flood the dam, so burn it down. That's such a cool move that he's like, like, build me something <laughs> to fuck. <laughs> I still want to fuck. I know. Did he fuck her to death in this one? So what? She didn't show up? Yeah, she wasn't there. Yeah. You know what? She was, um, what's the planet? She was on Sardaukar. <laughs> is, is that the planet? Sakar? <laughs> she was on Sakar. <laughs> Fucking Hulk? She was uh, making that weird Uncanny Valley Hulk baby. <laughs> That's what she was doing. Uh, the I would child. believe that looking yeah. at that fucking kid. What's the hair? Anyway. So, um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, that's pretty funny the way he just like shows up. It's just like, oh, he's behind the gla- the, the the ice wall. Yeah. And then they're they're kind of buds, but they're fighting. I don't know. It, I was watching it, but I was like, I'm glad that movies are better now. <laughs> I was like, if I, this if, was the height of cinema. If, if I was in the 40s and I was getting jerked off at a drive-in, it would have been nice. It would have been cool. This is the movie you get to. Right. But I just, you know, I would have been eating, what, like lemon drops and... Oh, no, you wouldn't have had lemon drops. You would have had something worse. Like what candies did they have? Like black licorice? Mentos? Yeah, they would have yeah, they would would black licorice and cigarettes and sitting in the car just getting pounded off by, like, Betty Sue straight from the sock hop or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't got, I don't have much to say on this one. I like... No? Let, let me ask was you this. Was this your first time watching it? Yes, it was. It was. Mm. I, I might get the two confused. There was a scene yes. in either this or the other one that you picked where it shows the town scrambling to leave and it shows a, a certain jewelry store owner. I think that was in the other <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, that's in the I'll that's save in the that because I really want to go into that part. <laughs> so, okay, so this one had the guy with the laughably fake mustache. Yes, uh, the uh, husband or betrothed to yeah. the Frankenstein fortune. And he was kind of the... Yeah, there was the guy that, but the guy in the town who was like in the bar when they got there, when they were asking about Frankenstein Man. Oh yeah, like and asking know. about his diary. He, he can help people, right? There was that guy with this crazy mustache, and I was like, he was the inspiration for the guy in Young Frankenstein with the arm. <laughs> Literally, like he was like that was the that's the inspiration right there. Yeah, so it was neat to see that kind of tr- track between the two, but 
Um, but my favorite scene in this movie is when they're like all at that dinner and everything in the town square, and that guy, one guy's like just singing that like just taunting Talbot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good like little moments that lead that go on longer than a modern movie would let mm-hmm. them go on, but it's kind of nice because they. At the like, they had the same problem in all these like old time movies. They had an hour to fill, but like they had nothing to fill it with. They would always like expand the parts that didn't need it. Well, they needed. Honestly, it comes. It's an old. It's an old point that's been made before. But the new teenagers were just going to go to these things to like hump to make out and finger each other. <laughs> so they had to have boring scenes and then spikes of shocking action or violence. You know. To help the guy hold out from coming. Well, just like, to kind of like when you see Wolfman's face to, for the first time, to, oh. to make it not feel like just a just a a complete excuse. Like they're not just showing a blank screen for an hour twenty, you know, while people are just getting beat up, beaten off. You know, they have to have you got to have something that when you bust, it covers the sound of you busting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So that when you let that that groan, Frankenstein's also groaning with you. So. But I mean, the Wolfman was. The transformation was funny because it's just like that double exposure thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's like like the uh, cross dissolve from uh, premiere. <laughs> <It's just like, laughs> but I mean, it's what they had at the time. Uh, then the next one that we'll get to that had the special effects work worth talking about. But but uh, what I loved about the Wolfman transformation, I felt like they should have stopped like the second to halfway part. So you could, like, see the human and wolf part. Because mm. he just felt, like, too much, like... I'm, I feel like when I'm looking at the wolfman, I'm looking at Gert. Like, that's the face yeah. I see. Yeah, Gert's cuter. <laughs> uh, so this leads us to another Drew pick, which I've just loved. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I can't believe I've never seen this movie. Uh, it's 1991's Adam's Family. Which, How old would you have been when Adam Stone came out for the first time? Yeah, I would have been negative one years old when this came out. Okay, because I've been watching this another movie I've been watching since I was born. I had I was I'm from one of those weird families that we didn't have Halloween when I was a really little kid. We had mm. the Fall Festival uh, at the local Baptist church or Trunk or Treat. I was gonna say not even Trunk or Treat. Where you were more more likely to be diddled than you would be just going door to door. You know. Like, you know, you'd that's throw, a breeding ground for pedophilia. You, it, you'd play cornhole and then also then get it stuck in your cornhole. Yeah, <laughs> that, that old chestnut. It's, this movie's just wall to wall, like fun. Yes. It's, you, you can tell everybody making it's having fun. All the gags work. It has a distinct style that it sticks to. The funniest joke mm-hmm. in the movie is uh, <laughs> when they're talking about. Uh, the 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 banker guy or whatever is talking to Gomez about the Fester Adams Memorial yes. Fund. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> he was a he was a wonderful man, absolutely oh, yeah. great with kids. They never proved yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> Watching that again, like yeah. I was shocked that joke made it in. Widows and orphans, we need more of them. This is very. There's a sincerity to this that's really nice. The sets were gorgeous. Casting was perfect. Oh, for sure. Gomez uh, kills it. I want to get one of those little uh, like train sets like Gomez has to use (laughs) when when I'm trying to figure something out, but I just drive it into Drew's asshole. (laughs) I mean, there's not much I can say about it other than it just was a fucking blast, man. My second favorite Christopher Lloyd movie. Which is first, Back to the Future. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Third, Buckaroo Banzai. I've actually never seen that. No. Never seen the film. It is a trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it takes so many left turns that it's like, why? But yes. 
it's it's lean in, but also, huh? <laughs> Oh, let me read Drew's Exorcist 3 review. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is great. This is quoting the movie. He's racist. He put rabies or Jewish priests on his entrance exam. Is the funniest line I've heard out of a horror flick. <laughs> it's good in its own right that leading up to the demons, the dialogue feels like a pretty cool 90s drama. Grandma getting possessed felt like the other side of a 90s Hollywood on par with Oh my God! If you know, you know. I don't know what he's talking about there. Some of Drew's, things you know, are, you know. Some of Drew's things are just so stream of consciousness that you can't really. You have to read it four times. It makes times. sense to him in the moment yeah. when he's writing it. If you know, you know. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way. Drew's third movie was Hocus Pocus, <laughs> a movie you couldn't get through. I, honestly, I didn't even start it. No, <laughs> I just wrote. Uh, I was supposed to watch this, but Barbarian just got put on HBO Max. And Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities hit Netflix today. So, nah. <laughs> Adam's Family is fun in a way that nothing is yeah. anymore. It's always got some element that makes you just like roll your eyes or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I straight up love that movie. That's my mm-hmm. favorite. Because I've seen Young Frankenstein so many times, that's my favorite that Drew picked. Yeah. Because he, obviously, Hokey Pokes. He picked the classics. Is, uh, is a, just a, a, a box of shit that's been sitting in the sun. And I'm not going to subject myself to that. And Young Frankenstein, I love, but I've seen it so many times, but this is just a nice so little So how treat. old were you when Hocus Pocus came out? Were you even born yet? Yeah, I'm sure I was. Yeah, I was one years old. I was one year old watching. Yeah. I never watched it, though. I think Carrie Ann watched it, and, and Halloween Town she also enjoyed. When you were a kid, those are like the two Halloween But see, movies. I never gave a shit about Halloween stuff. I liked. I think yeah, you had a handicap. I did. I definitely did. I wanted to be a vampire for Halloween one year. And my parents were like, "No, uh, they're like you're not allowed." I was like, "All right, well, no Dracul, Luke Skywalker, I guess." And they're like, "That's fine." I was like, "All right, <laughs> that's the fork in the road." That and I took the the path with less pussy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because it's always sexy time when you're Dracula. I mean, it's it's you got all the brides. Set me up for like, I guess I'm just gonna be a Star Wars guy. (laughs) Yeah, like it's it is what it is. I could have been Hugh Hefner if you just let me be Frankenstein, Mom. Fucked way more. My eyesight would have been fine. I wouldn't need glasses. (laughs) You know, uh, I would have been thinner. (laughs) This brings us to another one of my picks. Kind of touched on it a little bit already, but 1990s, The Exorcist Three. Best Exorcist. I, I think so, too. It's mm-hmm. definitely the better of the two from a horror standpoint. Because it stands on its own. It doesn't yeah. need the whole, like, you know, We're Reagan not even story. counting two. Yeah. Not, two is not a thing. I don't... I don't they rec- did the Halloween thing where they just, like, you know, omit certain I movies. I do not recognize Pazuzu in two. It's garbage and nonsense. From, like, a, if I want to be, like, a film school dickhead, <laughs> obviously Exorcist 1 is, like... I guess still I can't even say it's a better movie because I just enjoy three way way more. It's a better story, better characters. It's procedural. It's yes. clinical. It's got some of the most interesting locked off camera work that I've ever seen. And I say locked off camera work because Exorcist One is so documentary style because mm-hmm. that's what Friedkin came from was documentaries. So we wanted to shoot it as if it were just like. You know, like you're paranormal f- activity. Sort of, yeah. Not exactly found footage, but like you're a fly on the yeah. wall for this experience. And Blatty is uh, the second movie he made, wrote the first Exorcist, also wrote this one, mm-hmm. Catholic Weirdo, and he has these camera setups that are just so... I mean, the obvious one is the locked-off camera in the hallway with the nurse going to check on the guy, and you got the fake-out jump scare when he's yeah. like, leave me Get alone. Get out of my room! And then she goes back out, and... 
the best snap zoom jump scare that's in the history of movies. I mean, just for a second, just that with that thing comes out with the scissors. Was that was he supposed to be? A, was that supposed to be a nun or something? Because I keep pausing that, trying to like look at it, and it's just like this white figure. I think it just. I I just I don't want to pause. It. I just let it live in my head the way I. <laughs> it's like it's that thing where you you always see a glimpse of it. You know, I think it's just a thing that the guy possessed. George, uh, doesn't George C. Scott find a dead naked nurse? So. Her clothes were stolen. Yeah. Oh, that's the, the crazy granny. lady. The granny, the old lady, got that. Yeah. That's right. That was different. The, the crawling on the ceiling. Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh my God, and she had just that maniacal look on her so face. So fucking creepy. I thought she was gonna jump down on him and everything. Yeah. And just start like mauling him. And we were jumping right in on this deep end, but the movie takes so long getting to that point. Oh yeah. It's so mannered and restrained, and how it's, it's shot. It's like a cop drama. Yes, that's what I like about it. And what I also like about it, I just recently watched this show. Oh fuck! What was it? I don't remember what it's called, but it's uh, it's on HBO and it's about that journalist that went on the guy's homemade submarine and he killed her and like chopped her into pieces and threw her all in the water. And I've not heard of this was, show. That was a true story that happened. What I liked about it is it was like a procedural, but it never showed one second of gore. It didn't show an autopsy. No. It didn't show anything. And neither does this. It's like, I mean, there's at the very end, there's, you, you get to see what George C. Scott describes when he's at uh, lunch, which is this horrific crime scene mm-hmm. where the little black boy has his head cut off and, and uh, with the Jesus statue. Yeah, and blackface and spikes are driven through the eyes. Just all those like tortured souls yeah, reaching up yeah. out of hell. All these there's presumably cases that uh, George C. Scott has not been able to crack or has kind of like let pass just kind of to the back of his mind. And, you know, he's this grizzled cop who, much like his best friend, this grizzled priest, have kind of resigned themselves to deep down, they don't have any faith anymore. Yeah. But they have to go through the motions. They're just waiting for life to end, basically. Because it's the right thing to do until they both die. Mm-hmm. And the scene that best exemplifies that is in the diner when they're, he's explaining the crime scene of the police boys club victim. And they're interrupted by the waitress asking if they would like coffee. He's in the middle of explaining this horrific thing that's uh-huh. making the priest's blood just run cold. You can see it in like his face. Like he turns white. Yes. And this waitress comes up and asks if they need more coffee. That's the world. So chipper, so cheer. She represents the world going on as normal. The world is indifferent to the horrific suffering Mm -hmm. that goes on. I mean, everybody has to just kind of get on with their days. You know what I mean? If any normal average person was forced to face any of the horrors that happen on like an hourly basis on this planet or like a, like a minute by minute basis. You don't want to put a bullet in your mouth. We'd, yeah, we'd want to, we'd go crazy. We, and it's these two guys that meet up that are trying to stop each other from staring too long into the abyss. Yeah. You know, they're, and they're just, you know, they're both on the edge, but they're both pulling each other back. Yes, exactly. And and it's another great example of that is they each tell, the, the, the priest tells his other buddy, the priest buddy, and George C. Scott tells his wife that they're going to cheer the other one up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, they're, they know that they're doing it for each other. They're, that's, you know, that's what they they're have. They're life rafts. Yeah, they're each other's life rafts. And deeper into that chemistry that's so wonderfully laid out is the carp joke. <laughs> you don't really understand what's happening at first. And then the more 
that he tells us, it's really the moment where the priest kind of cracks a, a, a smile when he realizes that George C. Scott's telling a joke. And George C. Scott keeps a straight face and keeps barreling through the joke. The gills are unnerving. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's clear that this is it's an act of fraternal intimacy. Yeah. That you're witnessing from a kind of fly on the wall point of view. We don't go into shot reverse shot. Mm-hmm. We don't go into close ups. We stay in one locked off he two wants shot. We see both their faces. We see both of their faces in profile. Kind of more of George C. Scott's. But as he's telling this joke, it dawns on the priest that it's a joke. And it's like if you've had a friend that like you just like to <laughs> sneak attack them with a joke where you act like you're just telling them a story at first. Yeah. And then they realize that you're you're doing a bit. That's the kind of like relationship that's like, oh, these guys have that. We, and, you know, they kind of have almost like a 1940s uh, fast talk and uh, uh, rapport with like, each other. You hear about Raymond? Yeah, I heard about Raymond. He's an idiot. No, yeah, what a, he did to his wife. Yeah. What are you, what are you reading the girls catalog? <laughs> Why? You got something to say about it? Kind of, you know, it's, I brought you a hamburger. I'm not hungry. We'll just eat half of it. It's from this place. Where's the other half from? You know, <laughs> it's, they have this like, like pattern. And he brings him a penguin. <laughs> Toy penguin. Just cause, just cause, you know, it's like they have this, it's the only bright spot in their world. I mean, George C. Scott's got his family. Yeah, and but it's different. They don't get it. He can't talk. He can't go home to his daughter and be like, unload let this. me tell you about this blackface Jesus. Honey. Right. Yeah, exactly. He can't unload the minstrel show crime scene. It's like, Do you hear about the carp in the bathroom? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and they need each other. And then right as you're like settling into that relationship and you've been made comfortable by it, it's ripped away from Devastating. you. Devastating. That, that exterior shot of the house, phone ringing and what are you telling me? Mm-hmm. It's so brutal and he would freak out and just like yell or like when he started crying and everything he gets so angry at different points in this movie he's you can tell that the character has got this rage that's right under the surface that he's keeping tamped down and at one point he blows up so big that it makes him cry he's just like Feast Lamont like motherfucker yeah it's he he's not like like Nicolas Cage where he's when he goes off the handle it's kind of like a performative it's like you're very aware you're watching a movie but it's fun to watch him flip out Mm. this is a real human moment this guy was like just at his that that that, that, that way that only George C. Scott could yell he yells and he can't if you've ever been if you've ever been that mad in life where you just can do nothing else but cry you, you that shit will resonate with you the other thing I wanted to say um, about where the where the rugs pulled out from under you is the third scene in a row where George C. Scott looks at a crime scene and you are not shown the the horrific gore mm-hmm. that he's looking at, and for the first time because it's somebody he knows, he looks at the left hand, then he looks at the right hand, and then he goes to towards the face, and as he pulls the sheet up, he looks away. Yeah, he steals himself, and then he looks down. And that, those little subtleties in that performance are better than anything in most other movies, period. He, the, the guy is just acting his balls off for this. Because yeah. the other times, he's, he knows what he's about to see. He pulls it back. He sees the body. Mm-hmm. He's disgusted by it. Even when he sees the child, it, it, you can tell it gets to him, but not the way it gets to him when it's his best friend. Oh, yeah. And the way that the other cops are explaining in disbelief themselves about what is on the table, but you the know, the, what's in, what's in the, what's in the containers on the table, the bodies, entire blood supplies in those. And we found what's written on the wall and it's something that they only knew. They only shared kind of, I like that. The, the, the horror of 
this can't be real. This, this evil can't be real. And since it's grounded everything in a clinical procedural kind of cop drama, yeah, you assume that there's going to be some supernatural element because we haven't gotten to that yet. You're just as frightened by this because it's human beings that are able to do this to each other. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to talk about Brad Dorf. Let's talk about Brad Dorf. Oh yeah. Like I, I love the Chucky movies. They're fun. They're you know kooky. Now I've never seen them. So who does he play in Chucky movies? He's Chucky. Oh, he's the voice of Chucky. And it's just you know his voice coming out of that doll. So he's Mark works. Hamill. Yes, exactly. He's at, he's the actor Mark Hamill. Yes, played by Brad Dorf. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but just like when they're, it's those two alone in the cell, and he's just like you know, de- like you. This is a fucking maniac sitting in front of you. He's just talking about, like, you know, just murder as happy as could be. Like, what's the master? And acting like George C. Scott's the idiot because he just doesn't get it. It's like, you don't see me. This isn't your fucking friend. This is to torture you. Yeah. And it's to torture him. Mm -hmm. He's still in here with me. And you see George C. Scott make the fist. At one point, he backhands Mm -hmm. him. and uh, You broke his fucking nose! (laughs) That nurse nurse kills it. She's so good. Uh, but yeah, his performance in that scene crushes the Dark Knight interrogation scene with Heath Ledger. Nothing touches that. R- rest in peace, Heath. But that scene that is madness, and it's what it's clearly. I mean, Christopher Nolan had to have seen that movie, The Exorcist Three, and just gone like, "All right, Heath, do that." You see, yep. The way he's just describing being, and I said it in the chat today. I was like, "You were talking about how in the Dahmer show, it's revealed that." Dahmer's favorite, one of his favorite movies was The Exorcist 3. Mm-hmm. And he would just fast forward to this scene we're talking about where uh, Brad Dorf is like outlining what, what makes him evil and how evil he is yeah. and stuff. And, you know, Dahmer was the proto version of the guy that wears the Why So Serious t-shirt and is like, <laughs> I'm the Joker. He's yep. just like me. You know, I'm the Joker, baby. Yep. <laughs> you know, the guy who watches the movie but misses the point and identifies with the wrong character. Yes. And doesn't understand that it, that's not the right thing to identify with. So it was it was uncomfortable after watching mm-hmm. that. I was like, damn, I love The Exorcist 3 and Return of the Jedi. And in this movie, <laughs> but they do show him just fast forwarding to like the Emperor. And he's like, the Emperor's so badass. It's like, <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah, he's cool, but he's evil. Yeah. He looks like he eats infant children. You know what I mean? Like that's, he's like an evil rich guy who just- is disgusting and decrepit and, you know, shoots lightning out of his fingertips. Good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, and then the same thing with this, the greatness of the movie. I mean, obviously all of it's great of Exorcist mm-hmm. 3, but the greatness of it is everything leading into that last showdown. And what's interesting about it, and I've been doing a little bit of research about this, the original ending was really fucking funny. <laughs> the original ending is... Uh, George C. Scott just wa- like the the last time he walks into the jail cell, he just walks in and shoots the guy. <laughs> he just, he just bam down, and he dies. That would have been a good ending. It would have been hilarious. It yeah. Been great. Jed, uh, but I like the the ending that the studio pushed for a little more because if you notice, spectacle. All the scenes with the white haired priest mm-hmm. are isolated from everything else. Yeah. But they're also really good when the when the crucifix falls on the floor and he's it's weeping blood. It's like mm-hmm. this demonic entity reaching out to him and saying, "Like I'm not done with you yet." When he when the doors blow open and he comes in oh. and he's like a cowboy ready to get fucking <laughs> God's work done, dude. He comes Have in. You heard the good news. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. It's like that. 
is really fucking cool. And it's nice because even though he's never met George C. Scott, I don't think, and they, it's the combination of a guy who doesn't believe, but what he says at the end, I believe in... In hatred, I believe in pain. pain. I believe in theft. Inhumanity. Yes. Yes. It's, it's such a great fucking monologue. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have the man of faith who, in his, you know, that light that hits him. I mean, Blatty is a Catholic guy through and through. Oh, yeah. But it works in this because he doesn't make it all like Bible Leading up to that no, point. No, it's just like, you know, we have a job, get it done. And you're done, like cheering for the- Gone demon. You're cheering for the power of the Christian God <laughs> when the light hits his hand and he grabs a crucifix Christ and holds up. compels me. And that's like, you know, now, do it now. And mm-hmm. he, he's like, he breaks and it's boom, he's done. Like literally, doesn't even take him finishing, do it now, yeah, kill it's me, so bam. fucking cool. And that last shot that's of them at the grave metal. where the two of them are together and they're like, a born date, interned date, and then dead way later date. (laughs) It's just best of the Exorcist movies, best horror movie of that generation, and it holds up to anything that comes out today. And it can just stand on its own too. It doesn't need all the other Exorcist shit. Like you could have changed the name. It could have just been been called Legion. Yes. It could have just been called Legion, which the book was. Or like Gemini or whatever. Yeah, it could have been Gemini. That's so crazy because like that and Dirty Harry also had like, it's crazy to think how many movies and, and, and like TV things the Zodiac Killer influenced. Mm-hmm. Like that dude must have been laughing. For just real. Enjoying that influence that he had because that was like, people were obsessed with that and putting it in everything. And the other crazy, just like this last like little music thought I'm having, but uh, Granny comes in pretty clutch and saves the girl <laughs> from getting her head cut off. That scene of her pulling her head away is just, oh God. Oh. Because you know what those scissors can do. Literally, and just the noise it makes. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, it's spring-loaded and mm-hmm. everything. It's so fucking creepy. And um, it almost looks stop motion when she, they're pulling her it away. It does. It looks like they shot it in reverse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like something weird because it, it's got this unnatural... Like jerk. Jerk too. Or they, maybe they sped it up. I think maybe they shot it. It was some kind of mismatch, like Frankenstein scene, but it works. It, it makes it more unnerving. Out, yeah. Yeah, just like how the woman walking on the ceiling, it looks like she was shot at a different frame rate. Mm-hmm. And it was like added because just- we, She's all skitters. jittery. Yeah, it's so fucking creepy. So yeah, that's the, uh, that's the Exorcist 3. 